Welcome to New City Church's podcast. We're a small non-denominational church in Nashville, Tennessee, practicing the way of Jesus together. For more information on who we are, what we do, and some resources for your faith, you can check out newcitynash.com. But we hope you enjoy this message and that it blesses you. Today we are in our fourth week of our Advent series talking about peace. And so we're going to read from uh, two passages to start our churches. Been through the Bible in two years together, and one of the passages from this week's reading was from Luke chapter 12, and it talks about peace. So I want to read it for you. It's from Luke 12, 49. I have come to set the world on fire. It's a great way to start a passage about peace, right? Um, and I wish it were already burning. It keeps getting better. Uh, I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? I would have said yes. No, (laughs) I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. You're probably thinking, Trey, this is a weird passage to read about peace. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to read another one that maybe will, well, I was going to say help, but well, I'll let you do that. Don't imagine uh, that I came to bring peace to the earth. This is from Matthew 10. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And so the question that we're going to ponder today is what in the world does a sword or division have to do with peace? And before we kind of get into that um, with, with this passage, I want to tell you a little story from This is from N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament theologian, his book called Simply Good News, and it's a story about ancient Rome. Have you guys heard of the name Julius Caesar before? Fun fact about Julius Caesar, perhaps the best-known Roman of all, but was never actually officially emperor. The reason he was assassinated in March of 44 BC was precisely because his enemies didn't want anybody to become the sole ruler. But as often happens, Violence ensued, and a civil war broke out. It initially focused on those who had killed Julius Caesar and those who wanted to avenge his death. And for this purpose, Caesar's adopted son and heir, Octavian, teamed up with a guy named Mark Antony. You may have heard his name associated with Cleopatra. So they teamed up, but the alliance was short-lived. Once Caesar's assassins, Brutus and Cassius, had been defeated, Antony and Octavian became rivals for ultimate power. Antony traveled around what we now know as the Middle East, garnering support, but Octavian, though young, wasn't ready to give up yet. Eventually, Octavian won on September 2nd of 31 BC off the coast of Actium in western Greece. And Antony fled to Egypt with Cleopatra, where they committed suicide. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you were living in Rome during this 13-year period of civil war. It was a terrible time. Even though the war was being fought Far away, 
The city would, itself would have been full of rumors, factions, threats, and political jockeying for position. Everyone would be waiting anxiously for news from the front. And suppose you happen to be on Octavian's side. If Octavian won, it was going to be good news for you. But if Antony won, it would be bad news for you, and you might have to leave town. And then at last, what was heard in Rome was good news. Octavian Caesar has won a great victory. He is now master of the whole Roman world. This is good news about something that had just happened. The backstory of the Civil War has come to a close. Peace is at hand. The word good news, what we might call in the scriptures gospel or good news, became a regular slogan throughout the Roman Empire for announcing to the world that Octavian, soon to be acclaimed Augustus, by which he is now more usually known, had brought peace, justice, and prosperity to the world. And I want to pick us up in Luke chapter 2. I'm just going to read the first couple words of it. It says, At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed the census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Later on, we see a man named Jesus proclaiming good news. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Something has happened. Something, therefore, will happen, and the way things are right now is different as a result. So what is peace? Peace uh, in the scriptures, the Hebrew word for peace is a word shalom. Uh, It is not simply the absence of conflict, but rather might be described as the presence of something else. You might describe it as the presence of God. We can have peace with God, meaning right standing with God. Peace with one another, right standing with one another. And and even more so, shalom is about human flourishing. People being able to become who they are created to be and creation to be what it is made to be. It's about wholeness. And here's where, where the sword imagery comes in. There are very real forces that are aiming to steal, kill, and destroy the life that God has for you. In John chapter 10, Jesus says that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but his purpose is that you might have a rich and satisfying or abundant life. Uh, my wife is with, uh, in there with the kids' ministry today, but um, she was younger. I obviously wasn't there for the story because she was a kid, but she was in the car with her family, and everyone was incredibly loud, yelling and screaming, or at least that's what I've been told. Um, or what I remember from the story, and she just yells out, I need a piece of quiet. Obviously meaning I need peace and quiet, but what was it that was competing for her ability to be able to experience a piece of quiet? The noise. In order to have peace, you need to not have a lot of other things. So where does this message of a sword or division come in? Well, how are you supposed to have a peace of quiet if you're surrounded by noise? So on the surface, that passage sounds not that much like a passage of peace, but actually it is very, very good news. In the scriptures, uh, you will often see a place known as Jerusalem mentioned. Uh, And some people get really hyper fixated on the particular location, but Jerusalem uh, is, in Hebrew, would have been pronounced like Yerushalom. Hebrew, which literally means the shalom, or peace, of God. Shalom being this, uh, as Joshua Butler in his book, Skeletons in God's Closet, which is a great title for a book, said, he said, shalom is the abundant flourishing that results when God, the human community, and creation are in right relationship and intimate communion. 
that Jerusalem is supposed to be this counter-cultural place where the shalom of God rests. And if you fast forward in the scriptures, we see the new city that God is making is described as the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, where the shalom of God rests. It's called to be reversal of the curse in Genesis chapter 3. And the image that is often presented is that sin is waging war against the shalom of God. Uh, Oftentimes in the Old Testament, kind of the perception was that other kingdoms were even ruled and governed by opposing spiritual forces. And it's, I'm not going to dive too much into this today because this would be the, uh, this is the subject of a lot of theological conversation, books, and debate that is more than I can cover today. Um, but one of my common questions when I read the Old Testament is, why would there be so much violence? Maybe you'll have that question too. I can move past uh, pretty easily, say pretty easily, uh, when it's humans doing the violence and it's very clear it was just humans doing it. I'm like, okay, humans be awful sometimes. Like, that makes sense. I can see that. But when God seems to be involved, those ones are a little bit harder to swallow. But if you read through, uh, particularly the Psalms and other places, one of the common refrains that you will hear people cry out to God is very different than what I would cry out. It's, God, why don't you do something about my enemies? Why is it that the evil are prospering and the good seem not to get the best? Won't you act on behalf of justice? Won't you do something not dismissing my question or your question. I think it's a very valid and important question. But commonly, it's just funny how God is critiqued throughout human history. Seems to be critiqued for being too patient um, in, the, in the Old Testament. And he write in his book, News, talking about the resurrection of Jesus, said that the resurrection of Jesus launched a new and newly integrated way of life. And all that stood in the way of justice and peace all the selfish concern, petty jealousies, ambitions, and rivalries, and sheer human nastiness, I love that line, sheer human nastiness, belongs to the old world, to the old age that had been superseded by the new world of Easter. The power of evil that had lent its weight to injustice and oppression for so many centuries had been defeated on the cross. And what good news is that? But maybe you're thinking, uh, like me, okay, cool, God comes Jesus comes, he brings peace. Okay, also a sword, but he brings peace. (laughs) But I don't necessarily see that in the world. I mean, Carly mentioned it earlier. You turn on the news and it's just heartbreak after heartbreak. So much terrible things happen in the world, and maybe not even just like in the world, but maybe you feel it at Christmas time. Maybe you feel this lack of right relationship between you and family members. Maybe it's a longing for something that's not there anymore. Uh, Maybe it's a longing that things would have been different than the way that they are. Uh, Maybe you technically are just trying to keep the peace, but really you're trying to keep the peace by hiding some things about yourself because it makes you feel really unsafe to let people in that way. Maybe you, like me, feel uh, as someone who struggled with anxiety and depression my whole life, like peace in mind, in my mind, like how do I get that? And as I shared last week, preaching about joy, it feels ironic uh, being a guy who struggled with depression um, and anxiety to be talking about the joy and peace and hope of God. Um, And over the course of Advent, we talked about faith the first week, then hope, and then joy, and then peace. And last night as I was, uh, part of my rhythm for like sermon stuff as I run through everything Saturday night, 
Um, so if you ever hang out with me Saturday and around like 7 o'clock, I look like I'm starting to get stressed. I probably am. I have like a routine that I really like to do, uh, which is to be home, have everybody in a different side of the house where nobody can hear me, um, and have a space to run through the sermon. And as I was going through it and thinking about this, like I felt a wave of emotion sweep over me as I was thinking about my story and thinking about Advent and the things that we've talked about with faith, hope, joy, and peace, because particularly thinking of the last two, but really hope, joy, and peace, I was like, these are things that I wanted so badly. I craved in the core of my soul, and I prayed for them. And I tried all the things I thought to get it. I talked to people. I was seeing a therapist. I was, you know, I mean, praying, telling people I was trying to be open and seek God. It, wasn't for a, it didn't feel to be a lack of faith. Although at some point I got, I think my faith, I got real frustrated at God and just told him, forget it. But a wave of emotion just swept over me as I thought about Advent. Because Advent is a season of expectation, and our Advent that we are in now is a season both of remembering that Christ has come and a looking forward to when he comes again to make all things right. And what came over me last night was just this, this, this deep sense that depression and anxiety and this desire for more hope, this desire for more joy, this desire for more peace is like a gift <laughs> to long for Jesus to return to make all things right again. It's like, it's like this ache within my body that I feel. Some days more than others. And we talked about this some last week with this idea of the already and not yet kingdom of God, which is a rather dense theological concept. Um, but it's basically this idea that there's a sense in which God's kingdom has already come, that when we follow after Jesus, we receive eternal life. Um, but there also is a sense in which God's kingdom has not fully yet come. Um, in the sense that we can participate in the life of God now, but you and I both know, like, your body probably hurts some days. <laughs> we still struggle with anxiety and depression, and it's not because we lack faith, oftentimes. Maybe you feel happy. That might also not be because you have faith either, but that's, a, once again, a different sermon. But one day, we look forward to the day, as Revelation says, when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. Those things will be no more. And we look forward to that. But right now, we live in this sort of tension, this in-between, this advent, this expectation. And what I've found is that actually the, the pain and suffering actually births within me a deeper desire for Christ to come back and make all the wrong things right. As N.T. Wright said, Jesus' contemporaries believed that one day their God would claim his rightful sovereignty over the world. He would rescue his people from their enemies, reestablish them in their land, and come back to live in the midst. And he would fill the whole world with justice and peace. Now, we like to focus on that positive part, right? But this would naturally mean eliminating wickedness from the world. It was a vision to inspire hope. And he goes on to say that the challenge of the kingdom, as Jesus presented it, and as he lived and died for it, is the challenge of seeing that the living God, when he becomes king, has plans for his people and for the world that will translate all our hopes, longings, and desires to another plane entirely. So what I want to do uh, is I want to walk you through a couple ways that I believe God has given us peace and ways that we look forward to peace and how we fight for that peace and partake with God in establishing that. The first thing is peace with God. He offers us peace with God. Romans chapter 5, 
verse 1. I'm going to test my how quick I can flip through my Bible today, which when I feel more pressure, it's going to be a lot slower. But Romans 5, 1, I don't know why I stalled on this one. I should have stalled on another one when it took me a minute, not when I was already here. Uh, Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Part of the way that the scripture talks about it, particularly in Romans, is that sin makes a gap between us and God. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That We have a gap that exists between us and God apart from the person of Jesus. But through Christ, we are able to have right relationship with God. Peace with him. That's beautiful. Now, once again, uh, there's a couple layers to this, right? Because you and I, we might on a cognitive level, if we follow Jesus, know, okay, I'm, me and God, we're good. But also, you may be thinking, eh, I'm not really that good with God right now. I'm kind of mad at him. (laughs) And maybe for fair reasons, right? Maybe you've been praying and praying for something, and God doesn't seem to answer it the way that you think he should. Uh, Maybe something terrible has happened to you. Um, Maybe you just are struggling with insecurity and wondering, how could God ever love me? This is where it kind of leads us into the second piece, this this notion of peace within. Uh, Because there is a, a sense in which we do have peace with God now. That when God looks at us, he sees us as he sees Christ. If we follow after Jesus, that's true. But there also is a sense in which we still have sin in us, things that need to be eliminated within us. First Peter chapter 2 says it like this in verses 10 through 11. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy... Now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25 say it like this. And this might be a passage that you've heard before. I found great comfort in this passage. It says, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Christ Jesus or in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. In other words, we have a very real war going on in our hearts and our souls, competing for our attention, our affection, and our allegiance. What I mean by that is that we have a war going on that aims to cause us to love and desire things that are not of God, a very real war going on that wants to get our attention to be fixated on those things, and one that wants us to devote our lives to the pursuit of those things. And so it makes sense, in a very real sense, that you do not yet have total peace within. Because I don't know that you are, right now, yet meant to. If you were at peace with all this bad stuff that's going on, that's not exactly the shalom of God. And so one of my biggest problems with you know, people that say, well, if you follow after Jesus, then you'll experience like total peace all the time. It's like, well, clearly not. There's a war going on. 
And that war is not just in the world, that war is in my mind. And if I can be frank, I think those of us that struggle with anxiety and depression are very, very aware of that deep war in our mind. Because it's very tiring and exhausting and seemingly never ending. Though one day it does. I'll let you know, well, I said it won't be for a while that I fully experience it (laughs) until Jesus makes all things right. And here's something else too. Uh, Many of us would rather or would prefer Jesus to be a painkiller instead of a physician. Many of us would prefer Jesus to be a painkiller instead of a physician. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, We are formed in our culture to want immediate results, right? Uh, That I think of something, I have a question, I can Google it and I can find it right now. That's great, generally. I kind of uh, like that a lot of times. Uh, This is not by any way, shape, or form medical advice. Hopefully you know that. This is just a theological observation concerning how we view Jesus more as a painkiller. What I mean is, do I believe that Jesus can, if we pray, cause healing for someone, bring them healing right now? I do. I believe he can. Do I believe that in praying, God can remove someone's insecurities right now? Yes, I believe he can. Do I believe he always does that? Definitely not. Have I prayed for those things for myself and not received them when I wanted them? Definitely. Have I prayed for those things for other people and them not received them then? Definitely. I've seen God show up in miraculous ways. Do I understand why he does it that way? No. Not totally, but I have some thoughts on how we are to interact and respond to God in the process of of waiting One of the words in the scriptures that's used to describe salvation in the New Testament can also be used in other places to mean healing. That salvation in a very real sense is a healing of our souls. And when we talk about Jesus as a painkiller versus a physician, painkillers are great for certain things, right? But if you have a terminal illness that needs surgery, what do you need? You need surgery, right? And what I believe God wants to do with you and with us is to do a healing work in our souls. And thinking back to that image, imagery of a sword, St. Hilary of Poitiers from the 300s, which first I thought St. Hilary, I was like, that would be a woman. It's actually a man, just fun fact, it's a man from the 300s. Uh, St. Hilary said that the sword is the sharpest weapon of all, which serves as the emblem of authority. Think of a sword like a scalpel that God wants to do a healing work within your soul to remove the sin and the brokenness, that I don't think God just like, um, God, I don't think God really wants people to be walking around who have no pain but then aren't looking more like Jesus. I don't think God is that interested um, in having a bunch of people who all of a sudden everything's great but are hateful and filled with bigotry and exemplifying all the things that are opposite of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I think God is really interested in the type of people that we become, becoming people of love, people who love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and who love their neighbors as themselves. I believe that's what God is interested in. And God wants to do a healing work in your soul, and often that healing takes a very, very long time. And so I think part of the invitation from Jesus is to let him have the scalpel to do the work within us. And if we're honest, if I'm going to be intellectually honest, oftentimes when I want Jesus to be a painkiller, I'm not actually interested in him, I'm just interested in what he has to offer me. I'm interested in him just fixing my problem. And do I believe he can? Yeah. And do I look forward to one day when he does wipe away every tear from my eyes? Yes. 
and I'm thankful that he knows I've had a lot of tears in my eyes. But also, it's kind of centered around me as opposed to him and becoming who he has made me to be. And that path is a lot better. The scriptures will even talk about joining with Christ in his suffering so that we can participate with him in his glory, in the resurrection. So that's part of this like idea of peace within. There's a sense in which we can have access to it now, but also in a sense in which we will not yet fully have access to it. But we look forward to when that is to come. The next thing is that we can have and look forward to peace with one another. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about Christ tearing down the dividing wall of hostility that exists between Jews and Gentiles. And once again, that would be uh, another sermon as well. But there were a number of reasons that these Jews and Gentile groups in the scriptures would have been opposing from one another. A couple major walls. One would be that of religious heritage. The Jews growing up in God's chosen people and the Gentiles seemingly not being in that so-called good crowd. But yet both were invited in to participate in life with God. There was also that of culture, different upbringings, politics, and ethnicity, and, and race. And Christ tore down all of these dividing walls of hostility, meaning that people, regardless for us, whether they grew up in church or didn't grow up in church, people regardless of what cultural background they come with, people regardless of what political stance they take, and what ethnic background they come from, are able to participate in the life of God and have relationship with one another. And what this also means that as followers of Jesus, we are to be able to be unified around the person of Jesus more so than what everyone else is. And let me say a couple words on this because um, I think there's a couple, um, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, presuppositions, I guess, that people have concerning this. Sometimes when people talk about peace with each other, uh, we think of peace with one another just kind of as like the absence of conflict. But peace is not just that. Peace is like the shalom of God, right? The, the people being able to experience human flourishing. And if we're talking about just like not talking about issues that are really pressing and hard and difficult because we want to have peace, that's not actually peace. We're ignoring the actual problem because I think God actually is in the business of righting the wrongs, making broken things whole, and providing shalom. And so we are to participate with God in fighting against systems that perpetuate things like inequity. Uh, we are to fight with God in pursuing good um, in the world, to find peace in the world. Um, and I, I wish uh, my friend Israel was here uh, with us today for service. Israel, if you guys know him, um, we met in seminary together. We were both doing it online, and we were in this random Christian ethics class called uh, Pacifism, Just War, and Peacemaking. This very random peacemaking class, um, and our seminary is based in California, and then we found out that we were living like right down the street from one another and connected, uh, got really close. He's now one of my closest friends, and he's part of our church. And um, Anyways, it was a very fascinating class. And so uh, I recognize that as even I'm talking about this idea of peace and justice being tied in together, I know that there are a lot of uh, questions, and I'm not necessarily diving into the practicalities of it, just to give you, um, this is probably more of a teaching moment than necessarily a preaching moment, but uh, a brief perspective on Christian history, we've kind of landed up. Uh, earliest Christians tended to be pacifists. Uh, what that means is that early Christians were really deeply committed to nonviolence at all costs. Starting around, I think it was the fourth century, they became a 
pretty heavy influence stream uh, known as the just war theory. You may have heard about that, which is basically, uh, there's been different variations of it, but basically the idea that war can be just and good if it's pursuing the shalom of God. Um, I'm not going to make a stance on either of those. I think they're very wise and strong Christian perspectives that end up on both sides. Um, the third one that our class talked about, which I don't know if this was just a word that some people made up and how popular it is, but it was a word peace building or peacemaking, which basically says, okay, what are both of these parties looking for? Hopefully, if we're going to you know, move past the practicalities, looking for shalom, looking for the peace of God. How do we invite all parties to sit down at the table together and pursue the justice and shalom of God? And whenever possible, do that in a nonviolent sort of way. Peace building. Um, and so when it comes to this idea of peace building too, even with peace with one another, what I kind of want to suggest to us um, is that there actually is a way, I think, for us as followers of Jesus to be able to sit down at a table with people who think very, very differently than us and actually have honest and open conversation and talk about solutions together to be able to pursue the shalom of God. Um, I know that probably sounds idealistic and probably sounds particularly idealistic around Christmas time because maybe you have tried to do that before at Christmas time or some holiday and maybe that doesn't necessarily uh, work, feel like it works for you. But I just want to uh, offer that, that as a church, um, I, I think oftentimes we get more caught up in these other labels that we have. This is my cultural upbringing. This is my political background. This is whatever. Rather than saying, okay, what does Jesus care about? What is Jesus for? And how do we partner with him in that? And so as we kind of uh, wrap up, my, my challenge and encouragement for us is, is a couplefold. Uh, one, you can actually have peace with God. Like that is legitimately possible to have peace with God. And that peace, even within, uh, doesn't always come that easy either. It's a journey. And also, it's not just like a linear journey, like it's constantly up. It's more like, I don't know, I'll let you know. I'm, I'm right now up here, but it might be down here later, you know? But also, the fact that you don't feel peace yet, I think is just a sign of inner aching that we have within us. Things aren't right yet. And we long for the day that Jesus returns and makes all things right. And so my encouragement for you is if you're somebody who struggles with anxiety or depression, uh, that you let that be a fuel for you to long for Jesus to return. If you're someone who is passionate about a particular issue pertaining to justice and people who are perpetuating injustice and evil and harm on other people, that you partner with God in fighting to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's kingdom work. And the fact that you are feeling like this angst almost within you to see something different might be very much of God longing for the shalom of God to take place here. So keep partnering with him in that. Then my last challenge would be for us as a church. I mean, realistically, I mean, what I, let, me, let me say this. Uh, I read in a book a while back. I wish I could remember what book it was. It might be by a pastor named Glenn Pacquiam. He was talking about church splits. Um, and he said that church, whoever this was, said that church splits were a sign of our privilege in the West. Basically meaning uh, that we are able to split over silly things or secondary or tertiary things because of our privilege. 
But what if actually we are a people who are so deeply committed to Jesus and pursuing the shalom of God that even if we have different ideas of what it exactly means to get there, we're able to partner together in helping enact God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And actually the thing that you're interested in and passionate about and seeing justice being brought forth is not even in contrast to what this other person cares about. But actually they function together collectively to help bring the shalom of God. That we need people who are passionate about issues of injustice, people who are passionate about eradicating issues of like uh, systemic injustice and racism and all sorts of things. We need people who are passionate about mental health. We need passionate people who are passionate about, um, you name the issue, to partner with God and with one another to sing um, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I'll end with this. This is something to look forward to um, in this next year. Carly is our um, pastor of worship and mission, and she she and God together, or God gave her this idea. We'll see, I guess. <laughs> I'm saying this so weird. Uh, I don't know what's happening, Carly, um, of making this missional grant uh, for the upcoming year. Uh, basically, what that means is if there is a particular issue or mission that you are passionate about, one of the things that Carly's role is to do with being a pastor of mission is both to help us collectively think through what are we together, going to focus in on together. So one of the things is with our partnership with McMurray Middle School. Uh, additionally, we recognize everyone's busy and has their unique God-given callings on their life that we want to help equip you and support you in what you're already doing in the world, not to just add things to your plate. And so this missional grant basically is a way for you to uh, fill out a form and apply for funding slash support from our church, though we're small, um, to be able to help and support and rally around you with what you're already doing. Um, and so part of that for me is a way of participating with God in his work towards shalom. Uh, because realistically, together we can do a lot more. And also if individually we lean into all that together, we can help support each other. Um, and so that's something to look forward to uh, come, come January um, is a practical thing as well. We all join me in prayer. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love and kindness and grace towards us. Thank you for being here with us in this space. Thank you for this Christmas season um, that for some of us may feel peaceful and some of us may feel the opposite of peaceful. Um, Lord, I pray, um, yeah, even just for me, um, but for other people too, that over the holidays when we experience tension, stress, anxiety, worry, that you allow that to become fuel for worship. Not in a sense of like making those bad things go away, but in the sense of those things, honestly, God, just make me even more excited about what you're already doing and what you're going to do to make all the wrong things right. And so, God, I pray over Christmas that we have deep moments where we feel joy, deep moments where we feel peace. I mean, I pray that you help us partner with you in making that a reality, that we fight for all people uh, to be able to experience that peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching the service. We pray that it blessed you and helped you grow closer to God. If you are in the Nashville area, we'd love for you to join us sometime. If you're not in the Nashville area, we'd love to help you get connected with the local church if you don't already have one. But we pray that God blesses you this week and that he grows you closer in your relationship with him and with your community, that he uses you in a powerful way to be a vessel of his good news in everywhere that you go. May God bless you.